Welcome to the January edition of Write You a Song. I'm Tom Maley. A quick reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends and anybody you know who's into songwriting or interested in anything below the surface of the hit songs that we hear on the radio. And take a minute to give it a review, too. It helps get the word out about what we're doing. And what we're doing is shedding light on the songwriters who make Nashville go. On most of our previous episodes, we've talked to seasoned songwriters with long lists of hits. But this month, we're changing it up and talking to a young lady who, even though she's been in Nashville for over a decade, has only recently begun to hit her stride. to speak to somebody who is still, for all intent and purposes, at the front end of their career, to see how much effort it takes, really, just to reach the starting line in this business. And that's something I'm going to try and do a little more of on future podcasts, because I think you can learn as much from somebody who's just getting started as you can from somebody who's been there for a while. You certainly get a different perspective. And the other cool thing about this interview, it's the first one I've managed to do in person. This podcast is produced at KNCI Radio in Sacramento, which will come into play a little later in the interview. And our guest was in town for a show when she graciously agreed to come in and give me a little bit of time. Lindsay L., thank you for being on Write You a Song. And this is the 16th episode. We release these podcasts monthly. And uh, you recently had your first number one. <laughs> yeah. And you can count this as a number first because you're the first in-studio guest I've ever had on Write You a Song. Really? They've all been on the phone because everybody's in Nashville. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I feel so honored, Tom. Thank you for letting me be the first in-studio guest. That's, yeah. That's really cool. Put that in your bio and on your Wikipedia done page. Done and done. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's Before we kind of dive into everything, I, I'm just so impressed with your work ethic. I mean, everybody, I think the superlatives that surround you are – you know, talented and beautiful and a great singer. But it, would would you like to have works her ass off included in there every time? <laughs> I mean, everybody works hard to get to where you're at and to get to where you're going. Mm. But you have done a little, it almost seems like above and beyond. You know, when I look back on the past, I've been living in Nashville nine years now. And when I look back on those past nine years, they really seem like a whirlwind. If I had to try to retrace my steps and like, go through every right and left corner and up and down. Like I couldn't do it twice, but I'm so appreciative of the whole journey and everything I've had to go through. I feel like it's made me into the artist I am today. I feel like it's made me into a better songwriter, a better singer, a better guitar player because of it. And it makes me appreciate every single thing that happens. Like I've had to work pretty hard to get here. You know, I've had so many failed singles. I've, I've played, I mean, last year we were on the road for 235 days. We were gone for 280 days. And yet I wouldn't change it for anything. Like I, I love doing this. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. 
I even underestimated what it would take. <laughs> uh-huh. One of the uh, anecdotes that kind of floored me was I think it was when you first got to Nashville, mm-hmm. like places to practice and practice time was – it was tough for you because you had a job and you had, yeah. I think, gigs that you were trying to get to and, and record people you were trying to meet. So you would actually like – go to a Target parking lot in your car. to. Yeah. Can you talk about this? I love that you know this story. Um, yeah, when I first moved to Nashville, I lived in the tiniest little house, and my roommate was so sweet, but she was a personal assistant and would be on the road all the time, so whenever she was home, she would sleep, and our house was so tiny, and we had paper-thin walls that I could never practice in the day when I was at home, so I would, I would drive my car to Target parking lots because I felt safe, and I'd sit <laughs> in the backseat of my car and play and write songs and practice and so people would be walking in to go shopping at Target and see this crazy girl sitting in her back seat playing her guitar. <laughs> Where did you get the audacity um, as a young girl growing up in Calgary, Canada to think that, you know what, I'm going to pull up stakes, leave everything that I know and go follow this dream? That seems pretty crazy on the face of it. Yeah, it does seem pretty crazy. And um, and how old were you when you left? Well, like I've been playing shows ever since I was little. I started playing guitar when I was eight, playing shows when I was 10 years old. So this was something I've really grown up with. And I bought a 15-passenger band van when I was 16 years old and drove that thing across the country time and time and time again. So by the time I graduated high school, I ended up graduating a year early. I was such a nerd in school. And I went right to, to college. My parents were huge academics. And they're like, you are going to college. And I remember sitting in my second year of business school being like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I, I love school and I'm like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my all into it. But I was killing myself, like being in, in school and I was missing midterms because I was still gigging on the weekends and I was just, I, I was trying to do two things at once and it just wasn't working. And I eventually got to the point where I was like, I need to sit my parents down. And I'm like, mom and dad, I can go to s- school whenever I want. I can go back to school any, day, but I can't do music for the rest of my life. I need to do music now. And if I don't do music, I know I'm going to be the most miserable person ever. Like I probably wouldn't even be able to go see shows right now because I just feel like a piece of me isn't being fulfilled. Um, as cheesy as that sounds, but it, I just, I felt so passionate about it. And so, what um, was their, what was their reaction as the father yeah. of a 27 year old daughter who's Would that be terrifying? trying to make it. <laughs> okay. Well, and, then and you're right a, in the thick of it. Yes. So what, how did your parents handle this? Thankfully, I mean, they, they don't do music for a living, but they both play instruments. So they understand. And they obviously the knew your talent, your ability. Yeah. And they knew how. I, I'm never a matter of if, I'm a matter of when. They knew that if I set my mind to something that I will go and figure it out. Don't know how, but I will figure it out. And so when they knew I was that determined, they were like, all right, honey, well, this is really terrifying, um, but but you need to do what you need to do. And so they made me enroll in Berkeley College of Music online that I could do while I was traveling and gigging because they're like, you can't not – be in school. You need to have some sort of degree to show for yourself because that's that's just how we were raised. Mm-hmm. And so I took that online and I ended up, um, you know, getting a, a piece of paper to put in a frame one day because of that. But but at the same time, I was like, okay, I need to I need to go down to Na- Nashville. I need to go to L.A. I need to go to New York. I just I need to pursue this. And so I told myself early on, I got offered a record deal when I was 16. And the best advice that somebody gave me was, Lindsay, don't sign this right now. Like, just write songs, go play shows, and and 
you can sign a record deal in three years. And I am so glad that <laughs> that man, his name is Mr. Alan Reed. And I'm so glad that he told me that when I was 16, because if I would have signed that record deal, who knows where I would be today. And then somebody was like, hey, you should check out Nashville. I think you'd really like it there. So I remember walking off the plane with one person's name on a piece of paper. I knew nobody in town. And I wrote with as many people as I could. I booked triples, what they call them in town. So I wrote a song from 10 to 1. I wrote a song from 2 to 6. And then I'd write another song from 7 till 10. And then I went to writer's rounds at night so I could meet writers and just go up to them and be like, hey, my name's Lindsay. Will you write a song with me? And let me stop you there for a second because you are such a talented vocalist and your guitar playing. I want to talk about that even though it's called Write You a Song. Yeah. You're an amazing guitarist. Um, so you already have you know these two really important tools in your belt. And yet you have this – and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on Write You a Song. Yeah. You have – just as much passion for writing. I do. I mean, like, and you're telling me right here, right now, from the get-go, that was like almost priority number one for you? Definitely priority number one. I mean, none of us would have jobs sitting in this room if there wasn't songs. And I learned that real quick, that there's a special thing about Nashville and about Music City. I mean, they have some of the best songwriters in the world. And I think that's why early on I just really wanted to get connected into that writer scene. But and why was that important to you? Because you had these other two amazing talents. You didn't necessarily need to be a songwriter. Why was that so important to you? It was so important to me as an artist to be able to speak my voice, you know, and to write what I wanted to say and carry on my message through songs. I think as an artist being really honest and vulnerable with what you want to say and what you want to share with your fans helps bring people in in a way that I feel you can only really articulate if you write your own music and you write your own material. And, you know, if you find an outside song or or a song that you want to cut that fits into that fold, then absolutely bring it on. But most of the crafting of your message and your brand and who you are happens through songwriting. How tough was it for you to get that first appointment for a writing session? So, well, tough. Because they don't know you from – It still is tough. Like – Really? From the – well, now things have changed, I will say, after having number one. Mm -hmm. But but from the first point, like I I knew that one person's name on a piece of paper and I booked my first few writing sessions. But then I'm like, hey, I would like to get a write with fill in amazing songwriter in the blank here. And – until you get a record deal, there are certain people who just won't write with you because they're just so busy and they're getting, you know, their knocks, their doors getting knocked on by Luke and Little Big Town and all these A-listers. So they don't have time for an unsigned little Lindsay artist who's like, hey, will you write with me? And I get that. I completely get the logic of it. But it, it takes it took time to work myself up in the ranks. And even still, like there are some writers that – I know I can only call on right before I, I'm going into the studio. But yeah, booking that first, those first few writer's sessions, it was it, it just took time. And that's why I think I went to so many writer's nights is because Nashville, the good thing about it is it's such a people town. Mm-hmm. And when you get to know people face to face, it like breaks down all walls. It's not like an email going across somebody's desk. Hey, can I get a writing session? Like if you actually – Go up to somebody and meet them and be like, hey, my name's Lindsay. I loved what you played tonight. Will you write a song with me? Usually that answer is yes. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been impressed with in the 15 months that I've been doing this podcast and talking to the different – like almost to a person, they not only seem to enjoy 
you know, writing with younger artists, but they feel almost like it's it's a responsibility. Yeah, honestly. Well, and you see acts like Luke Combs, for instance. In the past couple of years, Luke has like taken our industry by the reins, and it is so inspiring to me. I am so proud of Luke, and it's so amazing to watch everything just turn. And I think songwriters understand that like you never know who the next new artist is going to be or who's going to pop and so i think it's a lot by going from a gut instinct and and never saying no and and keeping your mind open and i know there are a ton of a-list writers who gave me that chance and still gave me that chance for years and years and years when i didn't have a hit for a while yet they would always write with me and so i never forget that what was your first song that ended up getting recorded that you worked uh, that you collaborated with uh, somebody else on. And yeah, I mean, I had so many sessions early on where um, I felt like things clicked in the room. I, I remember probably the, the first big moment is when I was writing with Chris Stevens and Fred Wilhelm, and we wrote Criminal, which ended up being a, a big song for me. I mean, it took four and a half years for that song to get cut and end up on a record, and it ended up being... Um, you know, a number one in Canada, and it was a top 20 down here in the States. And it was the first song to really sort of get things going for me. And um, and yet I remember the day we wrote that. We we went into the room. I had this, like, little guitar riff thing and, like, a piece of a verse. But I didn't have a title. I didn't have, like, a concept of what I wanted to write about. We wrote that song backwards. We didn't have the title Criminal until weeks later. It was called, like, it was called, like, something so random like walking in Boston or something like it was so <laughs> random and different from how it ended up but but that's the beautiful thing about songwriting is the editing is never is never done I don't want to close my eyes why pretend I'm gonna sleep but I know damn well I'm gonna keep laying you out awake waiting for the breath you take to come back I can't relax I'm a tiger pacing my cage artists like Sam Hunt, he is like the editing king and he will edit a song over and over and over again and and constantly have like six or seven rights for well, one it's song. Funny you mentioned that. I think uh, it was Josh Osborne uh, a couple of shows back and he was yeah. talking about, I think it was Body Like a Back Road. Yeah. And he, they, they had to wait nine weeks for him to finally say, okay, I think he, I think he said it was some insane number, like 37 different verses for this song. I know. And I can't even imagine that. I... I look up to Sam for being so diligent on, like, finding the perfect verse. Like, I'll write four, five verses sometimes and then pick the best ones. But writing, like, over 30 verses for one song, that's that's a lot. Yeah, but when when you're putting it down for all posterity. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I know. You're you're putting these songs in concrete. You're recording them, and they're going to be like that forever. Mm -hmm. And so I, I admire it. You said something uh, just a couple minutes ago about 
editing, and I, I, it's a question that I wanted to ask you. You actually, I was watching a, a tutorial that you did on YouTube uh, recently where you're talking about the process of songwriting. And you said something. Here I am, a 55-year-old guy. I've been doing radio for over half my life. And you, this young thing, uh, said something that really stuck with me about um, you can't edit an idea if it's not down on paper. You can't edit when it's still in your head. And we all do that. And it's like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Quit hanging on to ideas that you might not think are good enough until you think they're good enough because guess what? They're probably never going to be. They're never going to be good enough. Right. I I thought that was so brilliant and so simple. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. I mean – I've had to get over my own ego and get over my own like crazy thoughts in my head because most of the time you don't even really know how to flush something out when it's just an idea in your head. And so I carry notebooks with me. I carry like crazy like notes on my phone. Like if you were to open my phone right now and look at like my title song idea list, it is a mess. And my voice memos app has like ideas of is there anything in there called walking in Boston? Or oh no? my gosh, probably. If I were to, <laughs> if I were to like scroll back like six years ago, yeah, probably I could. You could hear like this crazy. But then um, when you go into a write, you have those ideas. You're armed with those yeah. ideas, no matter how silly they might have yes. seemed to you when you put them down. Uh, seen from another perspective, completely, it could be gold. Yeah, and even like. Before I walk into a write with some of my friends, like as co-writers, I usually the night before like go through those ideas and and approaching something from you know even three or four days later, you you look at it in a completely new light than than the minute you thought of it. So sometimes you need to write ideas down and just leave it for a minute, mm-hmm. and then come back to it weeks later and be like, oh yeah, that's cool. What if I wrote it like this? Yeah. You know, so you give it time for your subconscious mind for it to like percolate in there a little bit. But if you never put it on the page from from the, that beginning of that thought, then you're going to lose it. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you have a guitar. I do have a guitar. And um, I'm just wondering when we're talking about like these little segments of songs or just portions. Do you have anything right now that you can think of off the top of your head that you could just play that's not done? Just something that's incomplete, but something you think might go somewhere at some point? That's a good question. I mean, here, let me look into my crazy list of a phone. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The writing process is always so different. Um, do, you, do you start a song uh, with a lyric or, or with like a guitar riff because you're so immersed in guitar too? I – everything, like all of the above. I usually start with like an idea or a title. And so I'll be like, okay, I want to write a song called KNCI today. And then I'll be like, okay, what's a what's a little melody or something that goes with that? And then I'll come up with some like melody or if I have a guitar lick in my phone and then I'll build it around that. So usually it's like I get the vibe of what I kind of want to go for. All right, so like, we're, we're doing a write right now. Yeah. You throw out this idea KNCI and I'm yep. like, how about KNCI I don't want to see you anymore? <laughs> I love that. Now, what are you going to do? Where do you take it? Okay, that has like a little bit of attitude to it. And so I probably would be like, I don't know. I'd probably start on a minor. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and can't see I, I don't want. Oh, wait, you shared that. Okay, so. And can't see I don't want to see you no more. Don't want to knock on my door. I don't know. And I like. This is how I build a song. So I just like 
vamp on things like oh, no, 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 no. I've been walking at night and I've been working too late and I've been no, no, no. so I'll like set the record. But as you're doing that, you're sort of you're 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 getting the wheels turning. Yeah, 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 yeah. and. I try. Like before, I I thought I would need to speak perfect lyric because I would write with all of these writers who just like speak perfect lyric, and and sometimes that happens. Sometimes a song just falls out in the middle of the air, and you're like, "Wow, thank you." But but usually it doesn't happen that way. And so I just I sing at length, and ideas come out, or sometimes like vowel shapes make you mm. figure out like, yeah. okay. That's what I want the lyric to say. And so I literally will record myself singing. And then I'll listen to it and I'll be like, okay, that three seconds is good. And then I'll write that down and then I'll build on that. So usually lyric writing is the last part of that process. Um, okay, so I was, I was before we released um, new music – I was considering writing some Christmas songs and Christmas material. So I was um I was in a write with Christian Bush, my very first producer, and we were like, um, gosh. I write so many songs that they just like become titles in my phone. But we we wrote this thing called Pretty Things and we were just it's like a Christmas song, but it goes like uh So I don't even have the lyric, like, I'm like, pretty. Well, I don't even know what key we're in. I just, like, sing random words. And then so eventually cool. you, like, fill in those gaps. Yeah. And, and so, uh, another writer might listen to that and hear, like you said, the shape of a vowel or something. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds like, and then they put the, and then it fits. Yes. It's like putting a puzzle together. It is like putting a puzzle together. And songwriting i found i just you need to be so like susceptible of those little instincts which is why like when i'm like scatting random words like sometimes your the vowel shapes you make kind of dictate what you should be saying it's so weird how your brain just sort of figures it out for you what's the best piece of songwriting advice you've gotten from a songwriter or heard a songwriter say i've written a lot with nicole galleon over the past couple of years and i love nicole cuz she has this beautiful sense of being so vulnerable while still so strong and and like clever at the same time and it's hard to sometimes make those things <clears throat> cross paths but she has really helped me become so honest like when i first moved to town when i was first in nashville i was writing so much what i thought was cool for the radio. And I was writing about things that I never live, never talk about. I had a song called Pickup Truck. And it's, I have nothing about trucks, but I've never owned a pickup truck. And I'm like, why am I writing about a pickup truck? Because that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicole has really helped me sort of break into that vulnerability. And, and through that voice, I feel like, um, I mean, everything I've been writing about on this next record, I feel like, I've tapped into places that are things I've never talked about. Is that where I Don't Love You came from? Because that song seems deeply personal. So funny story about I Don't Love You, I actually didn't write it. And it's like the first outside song I've released 
as a single. And it was a huge thing, as we talked about previously, mm-hmm. for me to come to terms with because I'm like, oh, my gosh, this next album I'm so proud of. And there's so many amazing moments and songs I want to share. But when I Don't Love You came across um, our desk, I think it was Keith Urban who told me this originally. He's like, Lindsay, if you find a song that you love that is something that you know you never would have said but is something that you know you would say, you need to cut that song. And, I mean, when I look at Keith's catalog, like, Raining on Sunday and You'll Think of Me and all these incredible songs are are what I think of when I think of Keith Urban and Mm -hmm. his catalog, but they're songs that he didn't write. And when I heard I Don't Love You for the first time, I was just like, this song was made for me. Like, it talks about Stevie Wonder Records in in your living room. And I have Stevie Wonder Records all the time in my living room. Um, It talks about in the first verse how, um, you know, it's it's a love song and how your ex would never want to take takeout from a restaurant. My ex-boyfriend would never want to take takeout from a restaurant and it would drive me mad because I'm like, you're wasting food. That could be your lunch for tomorrow. So when I heard the song for the first time, I was just like, this exactly fits. It just fits in who I am and fits in what I want to say. I don't open up a bottle with my dinner because I know that it's just gonna sit out on the counter and go bad just like the leftovers you just said to leave at the restaurant I don't go to anymore cause I won't go alone so I pick up take out and sit at home Artists who um, they, they write their own songs. It's not necessarily country. I think any genre uh, where they're just insistent on writing their own songs, but not all their songs are the best songs. No, I a hundred percent agree. I think it is about finding that balance and finding a blend of of both worlds. And because I care so much about the music side of it, it still has to have this like cool factor to me. And you know, I'm I'm so inspired by artists like. John Mayer, for instance, where there's just like this vibe in the music side of it that for outside songs, sometimes it's hard for me to find things that that fit into the vibe of, of where I could bring it or where I feel like I could bring it in the studio. And I Don't Love You was written by Adam Hambrick, who's a really good buddy of mine and has written a bunch of songs, Waiting on You, on a, a single of mine, and a bunch of songs on my past record, um, as well as Melissa Fuller and Neil Medley. And Adam has such a cool vibe of his phrasing like the phrasing in this first verse is so awkward and I love it it like it sounds like a conversation at the same time and it's so different than what you would normally write it's like I don't open up a bottle with my dinner cause I know that it's just gonna sit out on the counter and go bed just like the leftovers you just said to leave at the restaurant I don't go to anymore cause I won't go alone so I pick up take out and sit at home 
Okay, so that phrasing is really, really awkward. And then the chorus is so simple. Right. If I were to write this chorus, I would have put so many more words in it. But, okay, listen to this chorus. It is so simple. It goes, I don't love you, baby. I don't love you, no. So it's so simple. It like repeats the same line three times. Is it important, do you think, to if you're going to have something that's like maybe technically a little bit challenging mm-hmm. for the verses to simplify the chorus? I think there is definitely a magic in finding ways for songs to balance themselves out, whether that's through lyric, whether it's phrasing. If you have complicated phrasing in the verse, it's good to have simplicity in a chorus or vice versa. Yes, I definitely think there's a good balance there. And it's a good reminder as a songwriter as less is more sometimes and keeping things simple and keeping things easy for an audience or listeners to hear and learn and be able to sing along after the first listen. You talk about the opening line of that song and and it is a very interesting opening line. It grabs you right away. How important is it when you're writing to have that opening line or that opening verse just wham, Hit the ground running. So important, which is why oftentimes in writing sessions, like sometimes you you come out with the first line out of the gate, but usually that first verse is sometimes the last thing you write or you write what you think is the first verse. And then I Sam hunt myself and I re-edit. <laughs> That'll be a verb that I will use. I edit my first verse. And once you finish the song, you're like, okay, we could have a better first verse to start this because... That thing uh, in the first 15 seconds of a song, you do need to grab somebody. You need mm-hmm. to say something that is so intriguing that they will at least give it the chance to listen to 40 seconds to get to your chorus. Well, I want to give you props on the opening line of your song, Champagne, because I've actually, after I listened to it, I love the song, but the opening <laughs> line, I actually now try to do this with my wife if we're ah, out in public. I love it. Why don't you go ahead and sing the opening line yeah. to Champagne? Because honestly, you've made me a slightly better husband because you wrote this opening line. Tom, I love you for saying that. Um, okay, so this is Champagne, a song I wrote with Walker Hayes, fellow artist who I love dearly, and Fred Wilhelm. Um, the first verse goes a little bit like this. Don't you dare take your hand off the small of my back. When we walk into a crowd, I love her when you do that. You keep telling me I'm beautiful, even though this room is full of VIPs. Like that crystal chandelier ain't got nothing on me you make me feel. So that song, funny story about that song, um, Walker Hayes is so eccentric when he writes like he's just so clever and he is not afraid to say anything in a song and I remember the day we walked into the room and wrote champagne I had this little riff idea and a little part of a verse again and so we start like just singing things and trying to figure out our chorus and he was like why don't we say you make me feel like Jessica Biel and I'm like can we say that and he's like Lindsay yes we can say anything we want. And that still has stuck yeah. with me for a long time because it's like you can say anything. There are no rules. And the minute somebody say, says their rules, then somebody will go and break them the next day and probably get a number one song with it. Yeah. And so it was really freeing to be able to write a chorus that literally says, 
You make me feel like Jessica Biel Slipping out of a stretch Diamonds hugging my neck For the paparazzi got me like I'm dropping the mic So naturally, David, just call me Aretha For real, you make me feel like I'm the champagne So like calling out artists like Aretha and saying Jessica Biel in a song is something I would never do by myself. Right. But the beautiful thing about co-writing is you get in a room and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I think that works. And that's all part of the learning process for you that you incorporate yeah. and becomes part of your writing DNA. For sure. And we only have a couple of minutes left and the, the show is called Write You a Song, Not Play Your Guitar For Me. <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to just acknowledge the fact that you are one of the rare women. And I think I was trying to think of any other women in country who are known for their guitar playing ability. And there, there isn't. I mean, yes. you are and, – and it reminded me of – and maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of anybody who really is like as proficient as you are. I saw a quote recently from Loretta Lynn that mm-hmm. I absolutely love and maybe you've heard it. If not, you should incorporate it into your life. It's uh, to succeed in, in any, probably anything but country music. She said, be first, be best. Or be different. I love that quote. I and love that quote so much. You you certainly are. You, you are great at what you do, but you are definitely different. You have you, you have your own lane. Thank you. I mean, playing guitar is is something I'm so passionate about. I always say I'm such a guitar nerd, um, and yet it's just a piece of the puzzle. Like I think why I love artists like Keith Urban and John Mayer so much is it's like. They're incredible guitar players. They're also incredible songwriters. The way they sing, the way they perform, it's like when those pieces of the puzzle come together, it creates something that's that's purely unique. that is Lindsay covering John Mayer. She did his entire Continuum album. It's a really great tribute to John Mayer, but it's also a great listen on its own, Lindsay. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. Now, there was a stat uh, a few years back that said that sales of electric guitars uh, had been plummeting for quite a few years. But around 2010, I'm not sure exactly of the year, sales of acoustic guitars started climbing. And that was because of? Taylor Swift. Because of Taylor Swift. Do you feel like or do you even think about uh, you might be, you know, that to some young girl? Because Woo! because country music has such a great legacy of amazing guitar really players. Like- Chet Atkins, yes. Jerry Reed, Steve Warner, mm-hmm. Brad Paisley, Keith Urban. There's so many. And there's one Lindsay L. right now. Mm, you're so sweet, Tom. I'm going to come here every single day. Um <laughs> I'm not trying to butter you up, though, because you really are different and you are sort of you're blazing a, a new trail. And, and there are going to be a lot of young ladies who are, who are going to look at you and go, damn, that's badass. I want to do that. As crazy of a responsibility as that feels to carry, it is so exciting to me that I can hopefully 
be a little bit of inspiration. I mean, when I saw Shania Twain sitting on a porch when she had her first record out, The Woman and Me singing, no one needs to know. It was like for the movie Twist or whatever. And I saw her playing a guitar. I was like, that is so cool. And that inspired me to pick up a guitar. And so if a few years ago Taylor Swift was inspiring little girls to go buy acoustic guitars, I only hope that I can help inspire girls to go or boys to go buy electric guitar and make it cool again and make it be their own thing. And it is one of the coolest things for fans to come up to me at a show and say, Lindsay, you've inspired me to start playing guitar. And so I only hope I can be like half of the inspiration Shania was to me. time. See, I, I have notes on my phone, too. These are all questions I wanted to I ask l- you. Well, go ask. I mean, I can sit here for however long you want. I'm fine. No, you got, you got food to eat, but Lindsay L., thank you so much for taking time today, and, and next time you come back, and I hope you will come back at some point, we're talking about your new hit, KNCI, Don't Ever Want to See You Again. <laughs> okay, done. So done, Tom, that's that. a deal. That yeah. be- I love it. Done and done. I'll, I'll, I'll work on a verse, and I'll send it over to you. write you a song. Thank you again to Lindsay L for taking time out of her very busy schedule to join us in studio. This podcast is a production of Bonneville Communications International and produced at the studios of KNCI Radio in Sacramento, California. And again, if you like this podcast, share it and take a minute to give it a quick review. You can also go back through the archives and catch interviews with writers like Jeffrey Steele, Brett James, Ashley McBride, Josh Osborne. And next month, we've got another veteran songwriter lined up and ready to go. The shotgun rider beside me Singing to the radio True like the sun coming up each morning Every little thing that you do Baby, I'm amazed by you Marv Green joins us next time on Write You a Song.